But uh, Ken Anderson, everybody, thanks for hopping on here today. How you doing? Thanks for having me. How's 2023 uh, been treating you this year? Yeah, better than 2020 was for sure. <laughs> That's a given. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's uh it's good. It's good. Cool. I got my wrestling school. I'm uh, I'm taking more bookings and stuff, so I'm, it's it's good so far. Well, what, what's the what's the fine line look like with that? Because I know you know you're obviously a dad, and then wrestling school occupies a lot of your time. But you've also had those years when you were constantly on the road as well. So did your time on the road prepare you for the uh, hectic nature of what being a father and running a wrestling school brings? I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point because when you're on the road with like WWE or even Impact, um, you have a schedule, but it changes every day. And it changes sometimes multiple times a day and you just have have to be able to like adapt change on the fly so um yeah I, I definitely because having kids is like that you know it's just especially when they're little they're running around the house trying to commit suicide half the day and yeah so definitely definitely prepared me i think and uh did you have running my wrestling school it's like having 65 other kids too. <laughs> Gotta look after them a little bit as much as I can. So, so you're a dad home, and then you're essentially a dad in your second home. <laughs> yeah. You're home. You're home away from home. Yeah, definitely. Did Did you have any uh, places that you liked visiting in terms of wrestling at arena wise? You know, where like certain crowds might have piqued your interest more than others. Um, I I don't know. I've always loved working in like the mid south, deep south. Mm. Just that old school, you know, I remember when I first broke into the business, getting booked on a show down in Nashville for Bird Prentice. And there was, uh, they were telling us that there was a lady in the crowd who really still thought this was real. And she would pack a, like this big, thick chain in her purse and she would try to hit the wrestlers. And say, you know, like that sort of, uh, I like that sort of, feel you know and yeah yeah um as far as like cities to visit i i have to say melbourne australia because mm. my, i met my wife there she, oh, she's, no she's australian and uh tokyo japan was by far one of the coolest cities that i've ever been to um, yeah, those those international crowds, they have like a certain flavor to them in terms of how they get up for, for events. Because I know um, WWE's been on like a recent run recently when all their last three pay-per-views were all overseas. And like the crowds just get up a certain way that the U.S. ones don't, I've come to realize. Why do you think that is? Well, when I first broke into WWE, they had just started going to Italy. Um, I guess they hadn't been there in a really long time, if ever. And we would run, like, I think in one year, we ran 10 different shows in 10 different cities. We were, like, two, two separate tours. And the first tour, I felt like, you see those videos of the Beatles coming off the airplane? Yeah. You know, and, like, these people were rocking the bus as we were coming, pulling into the arenas, and it was just nuts pandemonium and it was because it was so new over there 
And then, like I said, we went back. I'm not sure. I think the second tour was similar, but not quite as good. And then by, by the time we went the third year, it was like, it was just normal. <laughs> um, yeah. But those crowds were insane. There was another crowd in, uh, in the Philippines that th- our hotel was butted up to, to a, a mall, like a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. And fans couldn't come past a certain point. They were just, there was three, I remember, three floors um, where you could like look down over the railing and, and it was just jammed with people. Wow. It was nuts. Yeah, that is, not, I think that's probably a contributing factor is because they don't get the shows as often. They're more like hunger, hungry and eager when they finally do get the shows. So they kind of want to leave that little bit of a lasting imprint so they come back more often. I, I don't always noticed that you know in in england especially or just in the uk in general um the, the fans are very 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 savvy like they get into it big time and they're you know here in the u.s like you go to packer game and it's dun, 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 go pack go and that's the extent of the creativity and over there like the whole crowd will start a somebody will start a limerick and then everybody follows it up and uh, it's just they're crazy they're crazy about soccer they're crazy about about wrestling that's where they actually just had their their most recent uh pay-per-view was just in the uk for uh, money in the bank i think a week and a half ago and um they were coming up with like all these crazy chants chant songs like the logic goes out the window overseas like it's like if somebody's a face maybe in the u.s they become the heel overseas it's crazy they decide, they decide. yeah uh-huh yeah. so i do want to talk about your wrestling school a little bit what was the inception of it when did you found found it and um what was kind of the uh spark that prompted you to want to start it um it was that the urgings of my wife at the time uh, my wife now, she was my girlfriend at the time, um, and my best friend in the wrestling business, which was Sean Navari. He and I opened the school in 2016. It was something that I, I always wanted to do. I think from the time that I broke in, you know, as I was going down this path, it took me six years to get to WWE. And during that, that time, I, I did a lot of, I, I wasted a lot of steps. Um, you know, it took me a long time to learn certain things that I teach my students on day one. And I just, I wanted to make sure that if I could give back, back that I would help people shave off some of that time. You know, if they want to go to WWE or, or AEW or Impact or go to Japan, hopefully, like, we can make that happen and they don't have to go through as much as I went through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. It was something I always wanted to do, but even when I was at TNA, you know, I'd been in business at that point for 15 years, 16 years. Um, I didn't feel like I had enough, like I hadn't done enough yet. Like who's going to, who's going to want to come learn from me? Like I felt like I still had a lot that I needed to accomplish. Um, But when we did open in 2016, I realized quickly just how much I actually loved it. And 
I've, I've been doing it since 2016. I mean, we were closed for the pandemic for the better part of two years. But um, we've been open now for a year and a half since pandemic. And every three months, we run a new cycle of students. We've got you know, 10 to 15 students every cycle. They're starting. Um, and it's just, uh, I love it. I love teaching people. I love um, you know, being able to like give them some tips of the trade that I had to sort of figure out on my own. You know, I had to go out and make all my connections and everything. I, I, didn't, I didn't really know anybody when I broke into business. So, so in a sense, it's sort of like giving them maybe the steps that you didn't or weren't afforded to in your come up, essentially. Yeah. I, I was lucky in that I found a good wrestling school. But they were these guys are great and they're still really good friends of mine. But there was a lot that they just didn't know. Um, you know, these guys um, were, were just independent wrestlers in Wisconsin. And uh, they had a couple years experience. And they were really good at teaching me the basics and sort of the psychology. They're really great with psychology. I'm so glad that I, that I got with them. Um, but there was still a lot of things that they just didn't know. And you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So I had to kind of go out and figure that out. Um, still to this day, and it's, I remember they, they told me on day one to flatten my feet out when I took a bump like a, like a body slam mm -hmm. or something, super and but they didn't like you know pound it into my head. And to this day, I suffer because I kept I smashed my heels into the mat for the last 20, 20 years until I like, oh, I'm supposed to flatten my feet out. That's right. <laughs> Just a little stuff like that. So well, I harp on my students like when, when they strike their heels when they're taking a bump, I'm like you're gonna walk like me. You're gonna walk like me. When, when you mentioned before about feeling like you hadn't accomplished enough like did you feel in did you mean in terms of like wrestling accolades or just internally with how you felt about yourself um, I, I don't know I just felt like, like it probably was largely internal it was just that like, like self-doubt that we all experience from time to time but I honestly felt like if somebody's going to go to a wrestling school of a, like a former WWE impact superstar, like at least the way that I wanted to do it, I wanted to make sure that I was able to give them as much, as much as humanly possible. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just felt like I needed more experience. Yeah. And I mean, the proof is in the pudding. The uh, current WWE NXT women's champion came from mm -hmm. your school. I just found she that did. out. I just found yeah. that out recently. <laughs> also, uh, another one of our students, someone of our graduates, Gable Stevenson, just oh yes, that's right. Yep. Splashed. There's a, a couple other students that are that are down there. Uh, Von Wagner. Mm -hmm. Yep. He was uh, he was our student. Um, um, uh, his name is escaping me. Um, Javier Bernal. Oh, sorry, Javier Bernal. He. Um, he trained with us for a little bit, and I think there's one more that I'm missing. But like, um, you know, and, and 
If you look over at AEW, uh, Darius and Dante Martin were like Darius was our first graduate. Julia Hart, she went to our school. So it's cool to see our students out there succeeding. And uh, I feel like it's like we're doing something right. Yeah, definitely. So it's like the full nine, right? Like aside of bumps, you obviously go through um, like promo skills and interviews and such. Yeah, yep. Yeah. We like I start out at you know ground zero and try to teach them safety and then basic rolls, bumps, um, moves, holds, spots, psychology as a big. I think uh, I spend more time. I'm talking about like psychology and why we do something than anything else. I'm constantly stopping people. Like, hang on a second. This is why you shouldn't do that. Just, you know. Um, but and I th think sometimes it may be frustrating, or maybe that's just me in my head because I know that I, I would be. But in the end, it, it helps them out because they'll. Uh, most of our students, when they train with us, when they go out and have their first match. When I kick them out of the nest finally. They go out of their first match in front of a live crowd. You know, I'm regularly approached by people that you know are I can't believe yeah. his first match. I, I I was just talking about this with uh, recent WWE people that I spoke to. Um, the in ring psychology and like what goes in in a match, the casual person that might see it for the very first time, they might not look for these certain things but like the hardcore audience and the people that are in the crowd they're they're the people that you have to you know they're the viewer like you have to appease to them so they want to feel like they're a part of the show so something as simple as in between a move like hogan was so known for doing this he'll like in between move sets he'll look at the crowd and he'll point at the crowd and that's like you know, part of the in-ring psychology, things such as body movements, facial expressions, those are so, like, they might seem minuscule to the casual person, but they're, like, very key components in professional wrestling. Yeah, and, and when they're missing, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you can tell the difference between, like, those guys are, they, they're better than those guys. Even yeah. though these people in the second match might be super athletic, they might look like a million bucks, but if they're missing the psychology, the little aspects, the little nuance, um, it shows. And again, yeah. you can't put your finger on it, but it's there. Mm -hmm. uh, so what about when you were growing up? Did you have a certain career path in mind and wrestling kind of led you to that? Or what was, there, what was your career path, basically, in terms of what led you to wrestling? Uh, um, it's kind of funny because like, when I was a little kid, from the time that I was about five years old until you know, I was in high school, I, I wanted to—I just wanted to act. I wanted to be an actor. Um, it's funny because, like, I, I, I never went to school, I, so I acted. I did some plays and stuff like that in, in high school. I was in forensics, did play acting. I went to state three years in a row. I only did it sophomore through senior year. Gold, got a gold medal in, in uh, uh, state forensics and play acting. Um, and then I sort of, I don't know, I, I want to say I gave up, but I, I just like, I'm going to get a job. I, I got a decent paying job. I had great benefits. And I was like, this is what 
I'm doing. And I would sit, I was a nuclear security officer. So I was an armed guard at a nuclear power plant. And I remember we would sit in these little boxes. You'd sit in a box for an hour and then somebody would come and you would rotate to another box and you'd sit there for an hour and you just, you know, and I just remember like being completely miserable in a sense. Like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, um, I, I had tried my hand at some acting. I did a couple classes at a local community college. And I, I remember I just didn't like the, the atmosphere. Um, what, it wasn't for me at the time. That sort of thespian um, attitude that some people have. But uh, I kind of gave that up for a while. But I remember I found wrestling when I was working at that job. I, I never was on. The kid. I started watching wrestling when I was 20, 21, I think. 21 mm-hmm. or 22. And then I just loved it. I was, I was in love, like head over heels. That's all I would talk about. That's all I would think about. I couldn't wait. And at the time, it was only Monday Night Raw. So, like, we would have watch parties. And um, I was at a party one day, and somebody said, like, you know, you can go to school to do that. There's, like, wrestling schools. My buddy's going to one. And I just, my mind was blown. And I scurried home, and I got on the computer. It was, like, AOL.com. There was no Google at the time. And then I looked up wrestling schools. And I remember thinking, there's not going to be, a, I, I was living in uh, Two River. Wisconsin, which is near Green Bay, and I remember thinking, I'm like, there aren't going to be any wrestling schools around here. I'm going to have to go to like LA or Chicago. So I started looking up wrestling schools in Chicago, which is about three and a half hour drive. And I remember thinking, this was way before I didn't know anything about the business. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I work every other weekend at this job, and on those opposite weekends, I'll drive down to Chicago. I'll sleep in my car if I have after I'll, I'll go to wrestling school. And and, um, and then I reached out to a Chicago promoter who had a wrestling school. And then the next day I got a phone call from a guy in Green Bay who he had just gotten my number from the original guy. And uh, he said, hey, I'm opening up a school. You'd be my first. I don't think he said this to me at the time, but I ended up being his first student. I went in, had a little two-hour tryout where they showed me how to run the ropes, take a bump. Um, and then I was, I honestly, this ring was, it was a 16 by 16 low rider ring. It only sat about like two feet off the ground. It was like bumping on my kitchen floor or my, my uh, dining room floor here. Just hard. It was railroad ties and there was uh, sheets of plywood over the top of that. And about a quarter inch of uh, carpet padding in the, in the canvas. The ropes were all saggy and floppy. There was blood stains and splotches all over the mat. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, I, I just, the minute I stepped in that ring, I thought, like, I'm home. This is what I want to do. And, uh, and then I just, I committed as much time as I could to learning. And at the time, the school was only running like every every Sunday. So I only trained for a couple hours once wow. a week. But then the rest of the time, my trainer, he would come down, he would drive down from Green Bay, 
and sleep on my couch, and he would bring this giant box of tapes. The VHS tapes were the thing back then. There's a big tape trade going on, and he would just plug VHS tape after VHS tape in and point out like like the psychology. This is why they're doing this, and you know, it was just a like an amazing education. So that was a long way to tell you that. I, no, I, I really enjoyed the whole long version of that because that that was that was really interesting. So, did, was it a buddy that intro, like that showed you it to the for the first time, or did you you know watch it while you're possibly at work, or just like see it on in the background and then like kept paying more attention to it? It was a buddy who I had known for several years that he was a big wrestling fan. Um, there was a there was like a subgroup in our bigger group that all loved wrestling and I give them a hard time about it all the time. Like, you guys, what are you doing? Like, why would you watch that crap? And he would just laugh and say like, ah, it's just a opera, man. Like, you know, it just, you should watch sometime. And I was like, I'll never watch it. No way. And then one night it was just the two of us at his house and uh, he's like, raw eyes on him. And, uh, you're watching it tonight. I was like, I'm not fucking watching. Uh, sorry, can I swear on here? Yeah, 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 good. I said, I'm not wearing that. Or I'm not watching that. And he was like, there's this guy who is like white hot right now. He's, he, he was just starting out. And, and like, you just, just watch it just for him. And I was watching. And I remember hearing the glass break and seeing this bald-headed son of a bitch drive out to the ring and pick up truck with a six-pack beer on his lap and uh you know i came from a really small town blue collar town and it, it was just that instant sort of connection and i just the way he carried himself he was different than the other wrestlers that i had seen in the past you know i felt like there were a lot of wrestlers who were sort of like over the top but he was legit like you believed him and you know he believed it and uh, I just I fell in love with the, that particular character. So then, then I started watching. My roommates at the time watched too. So then I started watching with them. I, oh, I just want to see what Austin does. And then oh, Undertaker here's kind of cool too. And Kane. And then before long, I was sucked in, and I realized like I've been missing out on this. My friend was right, you know. So then, it, and like I said, it, it was just getting white hot. This was uh. The 20, uh, 1997? 97, right? Yeah. That was mm-hmm. when 97, that's insane. But that was the first time I really like sat down and watched wrestling. And then I started in 1999. And I, I took my first bump in 99. Wow. So, so were you a fan when uh, the Montreal screw job occurred? No, it, I came in uh, just after. Ah, uh, okay. So yeah. you just missed it then, because I think that was the same year. So you must have came later that year. Wow. And it, the funny thing is, is, like I knew nothing about the business. I didn't know. You know, I would turn over to WCW, and for whatever reason, it just didn't appeal to me. I didn't like it. There were these larger than life characters over on WWF at the time. And just the way that their presentation was different, and I, I preferred that. that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just, just not tonight. I just, 
at the time, wrestling was so hot. I remember, like, the wrestlers were on the cover of – they did TV Guide, and it was, mm-hmm. like, four separate issues that you could collect. You know, it was, like, Mankind, Jericho, The Rock, and Austin. And Austin was doing the milk, got milk ads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, – was just becoming so mainstream that pretty much all the guys that I worked with watched it too. So when I would go in for my shift, we'd have to go into this little room and they would tell you like, you know, particulars, they call them pass-ons and, and uh, they would pass on information from the earlier shift. And there was usually a couple minutes before we got started and we'd all like, so did you see Monday night? Did you see what happened? And then, you know, and, and then sitting in these boxes, we were like a bunch of wash women. Like we would, <laughs> we would call each other because there was nothing else to do and talk about rest. And then you get done talking to this guy, and then you know, talk to the next one. <laughs> so it was literally when I, I remember when I first started to when I when I first started going to wrestling school. You know, you have those like no, nobody was ever like super negative, but there were a couple people that'd be like, "Hey, man, when are you gonna wrestle the Rock?" When are you gonna wrestle Hogan? Like, right? Kind of like you're never gonna, you're never gonna do yeah. that. That's ridiculous. Um, you know, and I don't know. When I first broke in, and I knew that there was an opportunity to possibly break in. Like, there were people that had tryouts with WWE and or WWF at the time, and when I found that out, I just like. Internally, I said, like, I'm going to, this is what I want to do. But I, I didn't necessarily go around and, like, toot my horn to, mm-hmm. the, to the world. But internally, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it to WWF one day. Was it something that you wanted to keep kind of close to your vest in, in the sense of if it didn't work out, the people around you wouldn't have that, like, satisfaction of knowing that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, think that's a good attitude to have about a lot of things you know i've always kind of been that way where like i won't necessarily run around and spout off about what i'm thinking about doing um because like like if you fail then like oh you've been talking all this trash for, for so long like what, what happened to that so mm-hmm. but in, like i said internally I was like I'm, I knew that I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And when you were crafting your gimmick and character, were there any bits of pieces of Steve Austin that you looked to put into your own little spin and emulate, or did you have any other possible inspirations for the Mr. Kennedy gimmick? It was never. If it was, it was never intentional. Like I, I never tried to directly rip off. You know, that was one. The things that my trainers were very big on, like you don't rip other people's stuff off. Got to come up with your own stuff. However, every move in wrestling is everybody's done it. You know, yeah. It's just like you have to figure out how to put your little spin on it. And then I was sort of struggling with what character am I going to be? You know, and I I never I didn't want to be like a gimmick. Um, that just didn't appeal to me. I didn't, Know what I want to do. The Rock was also a big. Like, I loved listening to his promos. Just the way that he would ca- 
captivate an audience and have the audience literally eating out of the palm of his hand. Um, but I remember I, I had uh, I had broken up with this girl. This was three or four months. No, actually, I it was three or four months after I had started actually having matches. And I broke up with this girl. And I found out that a really good friend of mine had been spending time with her. And I called him to talk about it. And uh, my, my wrestler, my wrestling trainer and a bunch of other buddies of mine were in the room with me. And I was just, just cutting a promo on this guy. And, and these guys are all laughing, rolling around on the floor. Some of the stuff that I was saying, the way that I was saying it. And when I hung up the phone, dude, if you ever, if you ever wonder like what your character needs to be, it's that. Just just think back to this time. And so that that really helped me, sort of, you know, navigate, figure out exactly what direction I was going to go. It was just, and it ultimately, I know this sounds cliche, but it was me with volume turned up. Mm, okay. Wow. So so that so that phone call was that. Like with the intention, like, hey, look, I'm gonna go cut a promo on him, or did that call just happen to take place in this in the same room as those? People? Yeah, it wasn't like, no, I, I didn't intend to. I was like, I'm gonna call this guy up and see, like, hey, man. So I heard through the grapevine that uh, he's been spending some time with Tammy, you know, and then just the way that progressed. Um, you know, I, I wasn't like saying that I was going to kick his ass or anything like that. That wasn't anything. It was no. I, I don't believe that I was threatening him in any way. But like, I let him know, and um, you know, like I said, that was okay. I I know where I want to go with my character when I cut promos and stuff like that. So cutting promos was actually fairly easy, and it was something that I I was given an opportunity to do fairly often early on my career, which I'm really thankful for, because I think, I mean, without that, I, we won't be sitting here having this discussion. Yeah. D- did you go through uh, OVW, like the usual route in which wrestlers go? Yep, I did. Um, when I got signed, kind of a funny story, when I, when I got signed, um, I had, I was sort of at the end of my rope. Like, it had been five and a half, six years. I'm humping. I'm, I'm broke. I, you know, I'm bankrupt. Um, I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. But I always made sure that I, I had new wrestling gear. And I was, you know, because, like, I, I sort of viewed it as my college. Because some people go into debt. They want to be a doctor. They go to college and they go into debt. A quarter of a million dollars. I sort of looked at it like I'm going to make it to WWF. Um, I'm sorry. Where was I going with that? Uh, OVW. OVW, yeah. So, Davari called me. Davari had been hired for about six months prior to me getting the call. And uh, he said, hey, they just hired like eight guys from OVW that were in the amateur class. You should to be getting a call soon because Tommy and Paul Heyman and Arn Anderson had all said they were going to throw their name in the hat for me. And, uh, you know, I didn't take them at their word, but I, I sort of like, oh, I really hope that's true. 
And so I waited all weekend. I remember I did this match where I, I was in a cage match. I was on top. I got up on top of this wobbly cage on an independent show in Green Bay, Wisconsin, with like maybe 110 people in the audience. And I did a swanton off the top of this cage. Like I, I should have died. Um, and uh, and then that was on a Saturday, Sunday no call, Monday no call, Tuesday no call, and then Wednesday was always the day that I would call Dreamer. He was in, in charge of bringing in extras and, and hiring new guys, new talent. And uh, I'm like, okay, I'm, I call him. So I called him on my on my break. And normally when I would call him, I would say like, hey, Tommy, this is Ken Anderson from Green Bay. And he would go, hello, hello, Ken Anderson from Green Bay. What can I do for you? The super monotone voice. And I remember thinking like, this guy hates my gut. Um, but that's just the way Tommy is that's his delivery for for anything okay i won 10 million dollars um, <laughs> and uh but he would always say like if he had anything else going on at the time he would say i need to call you back is this a good number to reach you at yes and then he would never call me back right so uh and nothing intentional it's just the way that it is in that, that might work um but he said Hang on a second. I need to talk to you. And I was like, this is new. And I heard some rustling of papers. And he's like, I've been trying to get a hold of you for the last few days, but your number has been disconnected. And uh, I was like, you know, talking into my cell phone. And I, no, no, my number is not disconnected. And he goes, oh, is your number blah, 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 blah. No. He goes, oh, I've been calling the wrong number. Well, I'm glad you called me. And, and it turns out that he was literally like 15 minutes or maybe maybe it was a little bit longer than that, but very soon after he was going to go on, he was going to assume that he just couldn't get in touch with me and he was going to go on to the next person on his list. Wow. And uh, he said, I've been calling you to tell you that I got you a job. And, uh, you know, again, he's this monotone delivery and I'm exploding inside and I want to do backflips. And um, he's like, we kind of talked at the time it was either OVW or they were just opening Deep South Wrestling in Atlanta, Georgia, but it hadn't opened yet. So he's like, I don't know if we're going to have you go to Atlanta or OVW. I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. And then. He's like, uh, is there anything else you want to say to me? And I was like, Tommy, I laid out this, man, I'm, thank you for this opportunity. I'm going to bust my ass and blah, 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 this and that. And he goes, okay, okay, you don't have to go getting all lame on me. And just completely kicked the wind out of my sails. And we laughed about it today. But um, but then I remember Davari messaged me and he was like, don't, don't go to Deep South. Go to over you want to go to OVW, that's, that, that's where they're, they're already, OVW is established already. Deep South might not be around for very long, and it, it turns out, you know, it wasn't. So uh, he steered me right in that he told me, like, you want to go to OVW? So I, I actually went and uh, I, I got an apartment. I just booked an apartment. Like, I quit my job and I rented out an apartment over the phone. I 
didn't even like walk through it or anything like that. Uh, sent in my money. And then I, I actually loaded up a truck, moved down there. And then my, my idea was after I got moved in, I was going to call Tommy and just say, hey, I'm, I'm here. So that's what I did. And he was like, oh, are you down there looking for an apartment? And I go, no, I, I'm, I'm here. Actually, rewind a little bit. He did it at some point say, I think if I talked to him and like sweet talked to him and said, mm -hmm. send him to OVW. So when he told me that, then that's when I got an apartment. And I called him on a Tuesday night. And then I said, Tommy, um, I'm here in, in Louisville. And he's like, oh, are you down there looking for an apartment? And I said, no, well, I'm, I'm moved in. I'm here. And he was like, you're there? Because he, had, he still hadn't given me a start date. And he was like, well, if that's the case, then uh, you can go to TV is tomorrow. We're business guy. Go knock on the back door, introduce yourself, and go on in. Wow. So, so were you Mr. You can were you Mr. Kennedy in OVW? I was, uh, no, I was Mr. Anderson. That was my real name. Mr. Anderson. So what went into the decision process then on the main roster to switch the name to Kennedy? Was that a Vince um, call? Yeah, it was, it was a Vince call. I remember I, I did you on Velocity against Funaki. I think it had two weeks of dark matches on uh, still on velocity, just like squashing local guys, which is crazy because like I was still, you know, kind of a local guy. Nobody knew who I was. Okay. But, like, like, I went from every time that I, I did a lot of enhancement matches for WWE, and Arn Anderson was regularly my producer, and he would regularly say, "Hey, kid." Nothing against you, but this is not about you tonight. This is about him. And he would point to, you know, Rodney Mack or Three Minute Warning or whoever it was. And and, uh, and then it was interesting because now Arn was having that same discussion. He was just having it on my behalf with this other local guy. So it's kind of crazy. But third week, third or fourth week, when I got the TV, um, Johnny came up to me. Johnny Ace, and he said, like, hey, they want you to change your name. And I, I immediately like bristled because I, I wanted, really wanted to keep my, my real name. Um, but so, so I, I sort of, I, I tried fighting it. I remember I called Paul Heyman and I said, hey, you want me to change my name? I'm going to try to talk him out of it, but let's, let's come up with, uh, can you help me come up with a name? And I, I was Kamikaze Ken when I first started out in, in wrestling. And I had these, like, this logo, these backwards Ks. Yeah. And I sort of wanted to keep that if I could. So I was like, something with K, you know, alliteration of some sort. And uh, and then he, he just kept throwing all these these names. And like so it was funny because it was like a true rap session where we were just throwing out stupid stuff. Something finally stuck. Um, I remember he was like, you, you need to pick something that is near and dear to Vince's heart, like something that he can relate to. And he's like, his dog's name is Ruckus, Kenny Ruckus. And I was like, yeah. And then there was another dog that was, you know, whatever that dog name was. And then, uh, and then he goes, Kennedy. Kennedy is Vince's middle name. If he gives you Kennedy, he loves you. And then, uh, so... When I went into that room, so Johnny had said, 
come up with a name. Vince wants to meet with you in like an hour or so. And I went into this room and it was Vince, Johnny Ace, Stephanie, Kevin Dunn, and me, which is just a crazy, like how I got from just the local guy that was doing a stupid swanton off the top of a cage. You know, not, not, not too far before that to I'm sitting in this room with these people and we're discussing like I'm debuting kind of thing. And um, I remember Vince said like, so you come up with a name? I was like, I, I gotta say I really like Ken Anderson. I like Mr. Anderson. He's like, uh, you know, he's like, I don't want people thinking that you're related to our bully team. Like, I don't want them to think that nepotism had anything to do with this or whatever. I sort of think that was his way of letting me down easy. Yeah. Because he just didn't know if I was going to be the drizzling shits or not. So he was like, nope, we're changing your name. And then I was like, God. And then I remember he said, like, do you have any, any catchphrases? And I said, yeah, nice guys finished last. Thank God I'm an asshole. And he was like, ooh, I like it. But you can't use that. Can't do it. And I was like, no. No. And then uh, I remember Johnny Ace at the time said, hey, hey, maybe. Like, what if your name was Adam Hole? So then you could say, nice guys finished last. Thank God I'm an a-hole. <laughs> and Vince just—he looked at me and he goes, "What do you think about that?" And that was, was like a test. I knew it was a test. And uh, I said, I, "That's a—that's a clever name. I think it's funny, but it feels like very gimmicky and like something that somebody who, who would only be here for like a, a few months. And I plan on being here for a really, really long time." And he was like. All right, and then I, when I said Kennedy, he's like, well, there's never been a Kennedy before. I like it. Do you like it? I like, I like Anderson, but you can call me dickhead if you really want to. And uh, he's like, all right. And he looked at Kevin Dunn. He said, make sure he's got Kennedy on the Titan drop. Like when he goes up. So that was wow. it. And, and then I went down to because I was still doing double duty. I was doing. I was on the road for SmackDown, and then I would fly down to. Louisville and I do OVW TV on Wednesday nights and they, they you know I remember uh, Paul Heyman was writing TV for OVW at the time and he said like just go up there and tell him that you changed your name because like Vince Vince gave you his middle name so I just got this promo and I was I was Kennedy from that yeah and I even heard that that was supposed to like the whole Kennedy correlation was supposed to lead to a storyline with you being his illegitimate son. Did you know anything about that? Yeah. I mean that wasn't that wasn't a, a plan that we had going into it or anything. I never really had any solid set in stone plans. Um, it was more just you know like they kept putting me in matches with high profile players and and uh they you know they were competitive matches and sometimes i would win and, um but no like the real storylines i remember stephanie was the one that pulled me aside she's like vince has something and uh, uh he's really excited to talk to you about it so and then i she ushered me into his 
into his room and he said like hey we're, we're gonna it's gonna turn out that i'm gonna be told that i have an illegitimate son and we're gonna have a big investigation that's gonna take place over, over the course of several weeks and then you're gonna be my illegitimate son illegitimate son so then we we set up you know weeks of little little stuff and i remember like one of the funnier ones was we had an interaction where you know he's he's looking to figure out who this is it's somebody in the company it's a wrestler and it was a male and we, we bumped into each other backstage at some point we had a little interaction and then like i walked off and i did the vince box as i walked, walked off you know like um so that was kind of a funnier interaction that we had and then uh and then i got in trouble and then that came to a screeching so. was that that was at the end of your run or was that during no that was during um yeah that was i don't remember i don't remember if it was it was post money in the bank right i had the briefcase and that was the one sort of long-term storyline that they planned out at that point was I had said that I was going to cash in my briefcase at WrestleMania the following year. And as far as I know, that was the, we were going to stick to that plan, but, but then uh, Undertaker got injured and they pulled me into a room and said, Hey, we were going to have you wait till WrestleMania, but Taker's hurt. He needs surgery. So, so on Tuesday, SmackDown, Here's what we're going to do. Kate Taker's going to be in a cage match with Mark Henry, and he's just going to barely squeak out of that one. And then somebody was going to do a run-in and beat him up a little more, and then I was going to come out and cash in the briefcase. And, and uh, I remember I, I went home, home, and I tried to be, like, low-key about it. Um, never try, try never to get excited about things until I'm actually, like, it actually happen. Because, like, like I said, things happen, things change all the time in wrestling and um so i i, I went home uh, talked to my ex-wife about it and then the next show was the following saturday in poughkeepsie we had a double shot in the first show i just took a bump like he gave me a clothesline that was it and uh i just when i hit the mat i felt something pop up in my triceps rolled out to the floor and it was immediately starting to swell up. And uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it started changing colors right away too, which is, you know, usually bruises take days to set in. And it started changing color right away. And I remember like, that is not good. And I just, like, please, please, please don't let it be a tear. Don't let it be a tear. And I went hornswoggle drill. I went to the uh, emergency room that night in Erie, Pennsylvania. And got an MRI, and they just said, like, go back to your hotel room and just wait. We'll call you with the results. And Stephanie called me in the room the next day, and she's like, can you tore your triceps off the bone? And uh, you're going to have to have surgery, and you're going to be out for like eight or nine months. But um, we still need to get that title off of Taker, though. So we're going to have you, the, the jet is going to come pick you up, fly you to Penn State, and then Ed. Just gonna challenge you for the briefcase. I just didn't want to do what you were supposed to do. And I like, I was like, okay, it's business, you know. Like, it's not like it, it's when I get back, it, it sucked. 
I was excited to do this, but like, I'll be back. And um, and then so I, I went and I dropped the briefcase to Edge. And then the next day, I flew to Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm sitting on Dr. James Andrews' table, and he he's just feeling my my triceps, and he's like, "That's not a tear." And I was like, "Excuse me." Pretty sure that's not a tear. I don't feel a tear in there at all. And he couldn't find my MRI. So I had to do another MRI. And uh, yeah, it was just a large hematoma. It was like a large bruise. A bunch of blood vessels popped. And uh, so he said, you'll be out for like maybe four or five weeks. So that was kind of a crazy like set of circumstances. So that, so that was really what you feel kind of plagued you in a sense? In terms of your uh, momentum and where your trajectory of uh, your push was going, um, I mean, I, I, I had I, I got injured a few times, but you know, like the first time I, I was drop kicked off the apron and I, I landed on my I, I tore my lat and uh, uh, then uh, I, I had that injury which was major. It was like every time I would start to get some momentum. I would, something would happen and um, yeah and it was just and, and the thing was at the time I wasn't doing myself any favors I had a, I, I went in with this amazing attitude where like a year after I started people saying is it everything that you thought it would be and I was like yes and more like this I love it here this is my dream job and then I just I don't know started to be just another job it's really weird and it's crazy just saying those words and looking back but that's it's just the way that it was and uh, i didn't like the only person that i can blame for that is me like i can't blame that on anybody you know pulling the rug out from underneath me or or burying me or you know it's it's it was me i would fire me too at that time yeah. Did, did, did it feel like the uh, the fun of it got sucked out for you by the end? Because I remember, I think I saw somewhere you said that uh, you kind of phoned it in towards the end of your run. Well, when I say that, I'm just, I never phoned it in in the ring, I felt, right? Like, I, I've never, ever, ever just gone out there and like, I'm going to take it easy tonight. It's always been like, when I'm in the ring, I'm going to go. It was just, you know. There were months where I didn't even work out. Like I didn't go to the gym. Here's my, my job is to maintain my physique. It says in the contract that if you, you, you know, if your physique starts to change, that they can fire you. I mean, they can fire you literally for anything. But I just, yeah. I don't know. I felt like no, they won't fire me. I'm good. I got this. And I, I just, I wasn't contributing at all. I wasn't coming up with ideas. I wasn't even thinking. Um, which is, it is what it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, that whole money in the bank thing, though, like that's it was such a crazy snowball effect of what happened because that moment in particular. I mean, to win a match like that, I mean, to win money in the bank at all, especially that early on with how big of an event it was, um, and the magnitude that comes with that. Because at that time, you were. It's essentially like whoever wins this match is almost essentially like stamped as like a world champ. Like it was almost guaranteed. Um, that was the, that was really the deal at the time. Yeah. Cause um, you were the third guy, I believe to win. It was edge and RVD with the first two and they won. So yeah. 
Yep. And they, they went from essentially like lower lower tier main eventers to then like main eventers because of that. So it seemed like with you winning that match, that was almost like the uh, formal stamp of approval. I know you had worked with like Undertaker and Batista right along up to that point though. So you did have like some main event level experience. Um, yeah, but yeah. winning that match, especially with taking into consideration the amount of, you know, Hall of Famers that were in that match, or future Hall of Famers for that matter, was yeah. uh, quite a big deal. Is that still the, is that one of the, or the moment rather that you look at in terms of your wrestling career as like the pinnacle? Definitely. Just that feeling of being on top of that ladder, knowing like this is WrestleMania. You know, like, um, but at the time, at the time I hadn't, uh, I was still excited about it, you know. I was still, I hadn't gotten to that point. Like, I remember wrestling Big Flair on a pay-per-view. And it was like, I'm just wrestling locally. It was like the same level of excitement that I would have to wrestle a, a local guy today. It was weird. It's just nuts. But, um, but yeah, that same thing on top of that ladder. Um, the, the interaction that I had with CM Punk at the top of that, that ladder, like we had a little conversation back and forth while we were trading punches which was kind of funny um we had been on like, it was my second show and i believe his first show we were we were on the card together and uh, uh you know I, I wrestled on that particular night i wrestled as he didn't call me by my wrestling name that i picked it was he called me two rivers jack just like a joke he gave me no music and i came on and i wrestled a fake gold Remember Golga from the Oddities? Yeah. It was just a big, you know, heavy set guy that uh, wore the mask and did Golga's stuff. And uh, I wrestled that guy. I got no offense. Actually, I take that back. I threw a drop kick, and he no sold it. Like, he just <laughs> or something. And he beat me. And then um, Punk had a similar experience his, his first match. And, and the thing was, is like, that's the way it should I believe that's the way it should be. I was never mad about it. I never had a pissy attitude about it. It just was what it was. And then we're up at the top of the ladder. And it's the last spot before uh, I'm going to knock, knock him off and, and retrieve the briefcase. And, uh, he just said something like, man, this is this kind of a far cry from uh, Whitewater, Wisconsin. But what you think? Yep. yep. And um, that, and then my other like kind of high light as far as WWE goes was definitely the little interaction I had with Hornswoggle mm -hmm. because um, I I knew Dylan I, I sort of trained like he credits me with, with training him even though I didn't realize that I was training him at the time it wasn't like a prop or I guess I would just work with him before shows um, and teach him some stuff what little I knew at the time yeah and uh the tribute to the troops was always was really excited to do that, happy to do that. And then Impact, my, uh, my match with Kurt Angle in the cage at Lockdown was probably my favorite match that I've ever been a part of. Yeah. So, like, when, when, when the release came, did, did you feel, like, was it, were you almost numb at that point? Did it set in? 
because like this is something you had talked about or wanted to or had aspirations of doing for for a while to, and then for it to kind of you know abruptly come to an end that had to have been sort of almost weird for you right to come all that way accomplish and then have like an abrupt sort of conclusion so it's funny because like the guy that got me into loving the business became my friend when i was working for wwe wwe and i used to talk to steve like on a regular basis steve austin and uh remember he called me up one day this was i was probably my last year at the company and i was just i wasn't doing well um i had a ton of heat backstage with certain people not but not with everybody like um like i always got on with most most everybody but like there was a couple people that i just didn't get on with and i remember he called me up and he was like a kid get the fuck out of there and I, was, I was like what do you mean he's like cool quit go to go to tna go to japan get over get away from the company for a Wow, get the stink off you! Like you got this guy, I hate your guts. This guy, I hate your guts. This guy, I hate your guts. And I remember, I remember, like fucking, I got off the phone with him and I curled up into a ball like, like a baby and I fucking cried, like I openly wept. And it was just like, how has it come to this? You know, like, but and and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to walk away from that salary at the time and uh, uh I, I just never did it but i never made any changes either in my behavior or the way that i was approaching the business and uh and then when i got that phone call it was like getting kicked in the ball it really was i was so hurt and upset and then about Eight hours after I got off the phone with Johnny, I remember Johnny called me and he's like, uh, "Hey Kenny, what are you doing?" I'm just, not, I'm just chilling. He goes, oh, "Kenny, I got bad news." That was his exact words. I got bad news, Kenny. I went, "No way, really?" And he was like, "Yep, sorry." Um, I'm like, "Why?" And he goes, uh, "They just uh, decided Creative doesn't have anything for you, <laughs> and uh, they've decided not to go with the Ken Kennedy character anymore, which is like a pat." Pat answer he gives to a lot of people, but um, and I just like they weren't. He, he said they weren't happy with the way things went on Monday, and uh, I'm sorry, there you got a 90 day no compete, and I'll send you over the paperwork and the details and blah blah. blah. I said, all right, that was the last time I talked to Johnny, <clears throat> and like I said, it felt like I got kicked in the nuts and the stomach and. Eight hours after, I it was like this giant weight had been lifted off my chest. So I'm gonna be okay. This is this is a good thing. No, and it completely turned turned my attitude around. And I, I should say it turned my attitude around. Like I'm gonna make it through this. I'm gonna be okay. But I was bitter. I was really bitter for a long time about just the way things sort of ended there. And again, I was bitter at the wrong person. I should have been bitter. At the man in the mirror, ultimately, but I was blaming it on other people and other circumstances, and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And it's like, you know, like let's say, you know, the stories out there that people buried me in the back. Well, if 
that that might be true. But had I busted my ass and just worked hard from the moment that I got there until it, those people wouldn't have had anything to say. Like they wouldn't have been able to bury me, or they would have tried to bury and then sort of went, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Right? But I gave them a reason to and I think Vince at the end of the day was just tired of hearing my name in a negative fashion. And just like, oh. Did you did you ever hold hope out that eventually the paths would cross again to where they would uh, approach you for possible comeback or anything like that? No, no. Not until very recently did I even entertain the, the possibility of that happening. Um, I, I didn't want to i was like convinced so i convinced myself that it wasn't me and, uh, i just i didn't i was so bitter that i didn't, didn't want to go and i didn't let it like affect every moment or every day of my life it was just i had a bad attitude about, about it and, um and then i remember like one time i was at impact and i was asked to go up and cut this promo and sort of bury bury the wwe and i didn't really want to do it uh, I wasn't worried about, about blowing up the bridge, but I just, I, I just felt like uh, it's a bad look. I look like, you know, I'm just whining. That's never a good look. Even like, even when somebody is completely right, when you hear them whine, it's like, nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I just didn't want to do it. And I, I went out there and I cut like, at the time, you know, Impact gave me a, a lot of freedom with what I could say on the mic. They would give me, here's what, but, you know, here's some bullet points. You say it in your words. And that's sort of the way that they presented this to me. But there was some very key things, key elements that they wanted me to touch on. And I didn't touch on the promo. I went out there and I just sort of like, I played it cool. Some would say I played it, you know, in the political game. But honestly, that wasn't my intention at the time. It was simply, I just didn't want to look like a Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember I came back through the curtain, and uh, and Vince Russo was writing the TV at the time, and he pulled me aside and he said, "Bro, I, that's I really, really needed you to go out there and do that, you know." And uh, he convinced me, like he talked me into it. It took it took some convincing. But he's like, "I need you to go back out there and do it again. Will you do it?" And I was like, "Sure." And um. Today, to this day, it's one of the most cringy things that I've ever done. When I when I look back on it, I, oh, it's rough. Um, just from from where I sit. Yeah. Um, right, because you don't want to you don't want to come across like someone who has sour grapes or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and I think at least when I look at it, that's what I see. I just see like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy's got a fucking bad attitude. And, He's blaming everybody else. Um, you know, it's the typical. It's just typical. It's uh, and you're just another number. You know, you're one of those guys yeah. that was had a good run at WWE and was, was the flavor of the month, and then then something got fucked up and mm-hmm. out the door. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, and I don't hold anything against Vince. It's like you know, he was doing what needed to be done. Yeah, I love Vince Russo, but uh, yeah, that's, I, I regret him being 
being able to talk me into doing that. Mm-hmm. And I remember too, I got a I got a text message from somebody in the in the company in WWE, like the night that it aired, and they were like, I "Really liked your pro." It's a uh, certain individual actually that you worked with in uh, NWA at the time. He went by Eli Drake, but now in WWE he goes by LA Knight. I've actually seen a lot of. Um, parallels between your run in WWE and kind of what he's going through right now. And, you know, I've seen certain people make that comparison. Um, what, what is, what was maybe your uh, recollections of Eli Drake at the time and working with him? And do you see the parallels between the two characters, LA Knight and Mr. Kennedy? I honestly thought um, when I was working with him in NWA, I still had that, like, you know, I wasn't myself. I, I still had, it was, just wasn't passionate about the business and he was passionate he was a man on a mission he was you know counting his mac rose backstage and see him like i remember one time my my wife um we were down there they would put us in a, like a, a bed and breakfast or not a bed and breakfast uh, what's the where you rent the um, there's like an app where you can rent somebody's house or whatever right and, like, an airbnb, that, airbnb. That yeah yeah Airbnb and uh, there was a bunch of us and my wife went out and got a bunch of protein, like steak, chicken and stuff. And she cooked up, she brought it for all the people that were staying in our house. And remember LA night, you know, she offered him some chicken breasts and, and like he counted out, he weighed it, he was measuring, he was doing math in his head, like how many macros that would be. Like he was serious and he put so much effort into everything. And when he did it, I just, I remember thinking that he's, he's definitely, he, he was at the time, in my opinion, the best person on the mic in the business. Like, and just, I didn't watch a whole lot of WWE, but from what I knew, like, I couldn't think of anybody who could, who could go to, go to tell with him, you know, he, he um, his promos were thoughtful. They were engaging. They were funny. They were everything that they needed to be. And uh, so it's no surprise to me that he, he's having the, the success that he has. It's really cool to see. Like, and, and hearing, I, I just heard an interview with him, Chris Van Lee, yeah. recently, and was talking about that, you know, that moment that he had where uh, it changed for him or he realized like something's changing. So I, you know, when he said that, I remember, I remember that feeling. I remember. I remember standing backstage while people were filing into the building. I'm talking to Dave Lagana, and Dave was the head writer of SmackDown at the time. He was like, um, he said, you know, we just got to work on, on getting you over. And, uh, you know, people just don't know who you are. And I remember, like, at the same time he was saying this, no, have you ever been to a live event? Yeah. Right? When people start filtering in, what do you you hear, woo, woo, and I was hearing, woo, Kennedy, woo, Kennedy, and um, that's when I was like, I think this is working, you know, I didn't say that to Dave, but it was just funny, I wanted to say like, uh, mm-hmm. are you hearing what I hear, but he was right in the sense that like, just because just because they they've seen you on TV and they they uh, there's we have like in the business what's called a star pop, 
where like fans, it's not like a super over over where they're completely invested in your character. And uh, it's, it's just more like, Hey, that's the guy that we watch on TV. And you know, he, he says his name and it's memorable or whatever, but it wasn't like I was over, over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I look at the two of you two, um, not only on screen, but journey wise speaking too. you guys have almost had similar journeys with wanting to get into professional wrestling, because I know he's talked too recently about how like, there's been times where he's been broke and had to get evicted and like was living in his car just to pursue his dream of wanting to be a professional wrestler. And he was also doing like numerous acting things just to pay bills and then constantly making this 20 year climb just to get into the business. And then if you look at like on screen speaking, the whole Kennedy thing and then now with him is the yeah chant. So there's so distinct uh, similarities between you two. And I was there's, you know, brainstorming off my head now speaking, if there was ever an opportunity, let's just say for like a Royal Rumble spot where you and him to have like sort of this moment in the ring where he can go like, yeah, and then you say Kennedy, would that be ever something that uh, you'd be open to? Yeah, bitch, go ahead, bitch. Because I think if, if you want to, if you want to make a it's moment, that, that's, yeah, that's just like, I, I, I would be open to something like that, you know? Um, like, that'd be super said, cool for, for years i wouldn't even entertain it i didn't want to do it but no like i don't know um, my passion for the business has been reinvigorated yeah well i'm glad to hear that and um thank you again so much for your time today this was a ton of fun chatting and i'm uh glad to see uh you're doing so good with all the things you got going on right now thank you so much you, man. I, I i just want to say like I, I i think you got a good thing going here you know, I get requests from time to time that and not everybody. I remember I, I clicked on the link you sent me of the interview with you and Melina. I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. So thanks. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Good questioning. It's good talk. All I right, actually, right. I believe that I said stuff to you that I've never told anybody else, by the way. Oh, wow. I, well, I'm, I'm flattered. No, that thing about me curling up into a Oh my gosh, I don't know that I've ever told anybody like outside of my wife and a couple of my close friends. So, oh, wow. I'm flattered to hear that. I'm more than appreciative. So, thanks so much for that and all your kind words. All right. Have a, thanks, have, man. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Yeah. And, uh, thanks. Too. All right. Hey, um, are you done? Did you?